<clears throat> hey, let's take our Bibles this evening. Turn to Genesis chapter 49. Excuse me. Genesis 49, and we're just going to read from verse 13. Genesis 49, verse 13. It says, Zebulun shall dwell at the haven of the sea, and he shall be for a haven of ships, and his border shall be unto Zidon. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we once again thank you that we can come and spend some time together this evening around your word. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that you'd help us to come with hearts that are ready to receive and to learn of you this evening. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, teach us through your word that uh, we might receive a, a blessing a challenge, uh, we might be refreshed by your word. Lord, I pray that you would give me wisdom and guidance now as I speak, that you would empower me through the Spirit, that, Lord, it would be your words, your thoughts this evening, and that, Lord, you would receive all the glory, uh, the honour and the praise. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you should have received a, a little handout there, a, a map. Um, you can sort of Put that to one side for now. You'll need that when we get to our second point uh, this evening, okay? And you'll understand why I've given that out uh, to you then. But of course, we've been considering uh, Genesis chapter 49, and we've been looking at <clears throat> Jacob's final words of blessing and benediction under his 12 sons. Um, words that were more than just his dying wishes. We've talked about the fact that these were revelation, prophetic revelation concerning each of them and concerning the tribe that would bear their name. And we see that there in verse 1, he says, uh, it says, And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. He says that there in verse 1, That I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Days and so he very clearly tells them that the things he has to say unto them, just a little bit loud, things he has to say unto them um, is concerning the last days. Okay, these are prophetic revelation concerning the future, both near and far. Okay, for some of them it's near uh, the fulfillment, some of it's way into the future, the fulfillment of these prophecies. And so far we've considered Jacob's first four sons. We've looked at uh, Reuben. Simeon, Levi, and Judah. And for Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, his words were not exactly full of blessing. You know, if you remember, he, as he spoke to them, he rebuked them for their sinful natures, and then he outlined the resulting consequences for them and for the tribe bearing their name, the consequence because of their sinful nature and the sinful actions that came from that. But then, of course, last time, if you remember, we looked at Judah and we saw that the words for him were full of praise. Not because Judah was a perfect son by any means. It's not as if his actions were all good. There were times when his actions were less than praiseworthy. But the difference was that Judah had dealt with his sin. He'd been repentant. He had made things right with God, made things right with his father. And so God now blessed him abundantly. And if you remember, we talked about how Judah was blessed with the knowledge of the tribe bearing his name, 
would be a victorious, powerful tribe, that they would be the royal tribe, and they would enjoy great prosperity. And we saw the majority of those prophecies are fulfilled perfectly in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this evening now we come to one of the lesser known sons, Zebulun, one we don't talk a lot about. And Zebulun was actually the 10th son of Jacob. And so we've skipped a few here, haven't we? We've looked at the first four and then all of a sudden we're talking about the 10th son and the sixth son born unto Leah. Now, after Leah gave birth to the first four sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, she left bearing children for a period of time. And of course, it was during that gap that Jacob had four other sons to um, Bilhah and Zilpah, the handmaidens of his wives. And then eventually Leah became fertile again, and she had two more sons, Issachar and Zebulun. Just go back to Genesis chapter 30 quickly. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 30, and just read from me verse 17. It says, And God hearkened unto Leah, and she conceived and bare Jacob the fifth son. Bare Jacob the fifth son. And Leah said, God hath, hurt, God hath given me my hire, because I have given my maiden to my husband. And she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and bare Jacob the sixth son. And Leah said, God hath endued, endued me with a good dowry. Now will my husband dwell with me because I have borne him six sons, and she called his name Zebulun. So here we see his birth recorded for us. Okay, we see that Zebulun is Jacob's tenth son and the youngest son born to Leah. And it was Leah who gave him his name, declaring there in verse 20, Now will my husband dwell with me because I have borne him six sons, and she called him Zebulun. So she is the one who gives him this name. And the name means dwelling. Okay, we talked about this back in Genesis chapter 30. It was a while ago. But his name actually means dwelling. And she gave him this name believing, as we just read, that perhaps now that she'd given Jacob six sons, finally he would dwell with her. Okay, that she would win his affections, win his attention. And so she named him Zebulun or dwelling. And after we read of his birth there in Genesis chapter 30, we actually don't read much more about Zebulun. The only other time we really see him is in Genesis chapter 46 and verse 14, where we're told that he has three sons. So he obviously got married and he has three sons. But other than that, nothing else is mentioned of note about him as an individual. All we know about his behavior is whatever is said in Genesis about all of the sons collectively. You know, they sold their brother Joseph into slavery. And then, of course, the trips down into Egypt and back and forth again. He was there. He was part of that. And so we know collectively about his character, okay, from those, uh, those general terms, those general events. But nothing of note is said about him as an individual to give us any indication of what he was like. It's only here with this prophecy that we get any sort of clue, if you like, to his character, and more importantly, to the tribe that would bear his name. And so consider with me, first of all, this evening, the prophecy. The prophecy recorded here. Let's read verse 13. It says, Zebulun shall dwell at the haven of the sea, and he shall be for a haven of ships, and his border shall be unto Zidon. 
Now, Jacob's words of prophecy here concerning Zebulun are very brief, aren't they? They're very brief. When you compare it to what he said about Reuben and Simeon and Levi and also what he said about Judah, he doesn't get much, does he? One short little verse is all that is said about Zebulun. This is all that we have recorded. And the prophecy given here is basically all about the tribe bearing his name and the place that they would settle in, the dwelling place of this tribe when they settle in the land of Canaan. As we saw in the introduction, Zebulun's name means dwelling, and so it's fitting that the prophecy about him is concerning the future dwelling of the tribe. And Jacob's prophecy here tells us three things about Zebulun's future dwelling. We're told, first of all, that Zebulun would dwell at the haven of the sea. Okay, verse 13, Zebulun shall dwell at the haven of the sea, and he shall be for a haven of ships, and his border shall be unto Zidon. And so we're told, first of all, that Zebulun would dwell at the haven of the sea. These words seem to be very straightforward, don't they? Very simple to understand. Now, the word translated haven here means coast, shore, or seaside. And so it speaks of the fact that the tribe of Zebulun, their inheritance, their lot in the land of Canaan, would be near the coast of the sea. They would dwell on the coast. What's interesting is that the word translated sea there is actually plural in the Hebrew. And so Jacob actually declares that they will dwell at the coast of multiple seas. Okay, Zebulun shall dwell at the haven of the seas, plural, more than one. And so this is a reference to the Mediterranean Sea on the west and the Sea of Galilee on the east. And Jacob declares that their inheritance here would stretch between both seas so that they are dwelling on or near the coast of both of them. That's the first part of the prophecy. And then secondly, he declares that Zebulun would be a haven of ships. Verse 13 again, Zebulun shall dwell at the haven of the sea or seas, and he shall be for an haven of ships. And so we're told secondly that because of their proximity to the coast of both of these seas, the Mediterranean and the Sea of Galilee, that Zebulun would be known for its harbours, for its port cities. It indicates that the tribe would become merchants, they would become mariners, that they would trade upon the ocean. And indeed, their flag in Israel for the tribe is a ship, because that is what they would be, mariners upon the ocean, building ships, having these port cities, trading across the ocean, bringing merchandise in and sending it out. In Deuteronomy chapter 33, Moses actually emphasizes this idea. Go over there, Deuteronomy chapter 33. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 18. It says, And of Zebulun, he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in thy going out, and Issachar in thy tents, they shall call the people unto the mountain. There they shall offer sacrifices of righteousness, for they shall suck of the abundance of the seas and of the treasures hid in the sand. And so Moses here speaks about the fact that they would suck of the abundance of the seas. 
that they're going to draw their riches from trading upon the ocean. And so it's clear that the tribe of Zebulun is prophesied here that they would be a very successful tribe of mariners and merchants trading upon the ocean with these port cities on both coasts. And then finally we're told in this prophecy that their, their border would extend unto Zidon. Let's go back there again, verse 13. Zebulun shall dwell at the haven of the sea, and he shall be for an haven of ships, and his border shall be unto Zidon. Now, Zidon, or Sidon, if you like, you can spell it with an S, okay? It's the same city. Uh, this city, Zidon, was a northern city, uh, a great major northern city in Canaan, in the region that was later known as Phoenicia. And today, it's called Lebanon, okay? So that's where this city was located, and it was located on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. So it was a port city, a major port city. And the prophecy here suggests that their border will extend up the coast unto or towards Sidon. That's what the verse says, isn't it? Okay, and his border shall be unto Zidon. And so the prophecy here in verse 13 seems to be very straightforward, doesn't it? Very simple, very easy to understand. I'm sure you could have all figured that out without me really going through it step by step. It's a very simple, clear prophecy. Zebulun's inheritance will stretch between these two seas, the, sea, the Mediterranean Sea and the Sea of Galilee. And they will have port cities. They will trade as mariners and merchants. And finally, their border will extend up the coast toward Sidon. As I said, it all seems simple enough. However, the problem comes or the problem arises when we begin to look at the fulfillments. And so I want us to look secondly tonight at the problem. And you've probably already started to realize what it is by looking at the handout. The problem. Let's go to Joshua chapter 19. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 19 outlines for us the, the regions that were given to each of the tribes as their allotment. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 19. Now I'm not going to read it all because there's names in there that I'm going to struggle to pronounce. But Zebulun's lot is recorded for us in verse 10 down to verse 16. Let's just read from verse 10. It says, And the third lot came up for the children of Zebulun, according to their families, and the border of their inheritance was unto Sarid. Okay, and then it goes on and it lists all the places that are included in their lot. Okay, we're given a list of towns, a list of villages that make up their inheritance. And using this list of names and places, and there's 18 of them there, there's 18 different references to places or uh, villages or you know, a, a river or whatever it might be, there's 18 references there. Using this list, Bible scholars have sought to draw a map, okay, giving us the outline of the borders of the tribes. And they usually draw the borders of Zebulun to be something similar to what you find on the map that I've handed out this evening. Um, now, you might be lucky, you might have something slightly different in your Bible, but most of the maps drawn are something very similar to that, okay, where you see Zebulun there. I think it's in purple, if I remember, okay, you can see it. 
um, on the map there. And that's why I've given you the handout tonight so you can see it for yourselves in case you don't have a Bible map in the back of your Bible. But as you can see on the map there, Zebulun is positioned between the Mediterranean Sea and between the Sea of Galilee. But its borders don't reach unto either shore, unto either coast. And according to these maps, Zebulun basically is effectively a landlocked tribe. Okay, that's how the map portrays it. And as I said, 90% that you look at portray it as being a landlocked tribe with no access to the sea at all. And you can also see on the map that their northwestern border does not extend anywhere near Sidon, does it? Sidon is right up the top there, located near the northern border of the tribe of Asher. And so it's nowhere near Zebulun. So the map doesn't match what we've just talked about in Genesis chapter 49. It's not even close. I mean, the only thing that's similar is between the Mediterranean Sea and the Sea of Galilee. That really is the only thing, isn't it? So it would immediately uh, seem that, you know, the prophecy's wrong or we've understood the prophecy wrong. You know, there's no borders here on the, the oceans for them to trade at sea, the, for them to have these havens for ships, these port cities. And their border, as I said, does not extend anywhere near Sidon. And so it seems that we've got something wrong or the map's wrong. It's one or the other, isn't it? But you know, the first thing I think we need to remind ourselves of is that God's word's never wrong. Okay? God's word's never wrong. And so if God has declared something to be true, then his word is true. We know God's prophecies are always perfectly fulfilled. And so we need to then find the answer, don't we? How do we rectify all this? How do we put it all together? Well, one suggestion that some commentators make is that the word translated there in verse 13, at, okay, let's just go back there, Genesis 49. The word translated at, okay, Zebulun shall dwell at the haven of the sea. Some commentators suggest that it could instead be translated toward, toward the haven of the seas. And so that then the phrase doesn't mean that they will actually dwell at or on the coast, but rather they will be, their border will be toward the coast of both these seas. And if you translate it that way, then it, it sort of fits the map, doesn't it? It starts to look a bit more like what the map is showing us, portraying to us. That Zebulun is located between these two seas, but its borders don't extend all the way to the coast. For example, one commentator wrote this, The tribal allotment of Zebulun in Genesis does not demand the allotment actually bordered the Mediterranean Sea. Some scholars are of the opinion that the Hebrew grammar can suggest the tribe was to live near or towards the sea. And so this is the position of some, as I studied this week and sought to find an answer to this and find out what's, what's the answer, what's going on. It's the position of some, and I guess it seems to be a possibility, okay, that there is a way you could translate it, which would make it fit better with the map. We'll clear up some of the confusion. But I can see you thinking, but what about the next phrase? Next phrase in the verse says, and he shall be an haven for ships. Well, how does that fit? If we made it so the borders don't extend to the coast, how do they have a haven for ships? How does that fit altogether? Well, those same commentators assume that this phrase is speaking about them 
sorry, he's not speaking about them being mariners themselves, but instead it refers to them merely profiting off the ocean trade because of their proximity to the ocean, proximity to both these seas and their proximity to the trade route known as the Via Maris or the Way of the Sea. And this trade route was um, located basically in the middle of Zebulun. It went from Damascus in the northeast all the way down to Egypt in the southwest, this major trade route, like a major highway, if you like. And it ran straight through Zebulun's allotment of land. And so the suggestion is that the merchandise was unloaded from the ships on the coast, and then it would be brought inland to Zebulun to be then transported along the Via Maris, the way of the sea, transported either to the north or down to the south. And so in this way, the tribe of Zebulun would become merchants. They would become traders. They would become essentially, if you like, a hub where all the trade went through them, went through their tribe. One commentator wrote this, thus lying between two seas and on a trade route, Zebulun was heavily involved in commercial ventures. And so in this way, some commentators seek to find harmony between the map that's drawn from Joshua chapter 19 and the prophecy given to us in Genesis 49. As I said, it's a possibility. However, it seems to me that while it's a plausible answer, it's not the clear and obvious interpretation, is it? It's not the clear and obvious interpretation of the passage. Now, the prophecy, as we said earlier, seems to be very simple, very clear. As I said, you probably could have figured it out without me telling you. It was very simple. It was very clear. And it seems strange to me that we'd, we would have to do some exegetical gymnastics to get it to all twist around and fit together. I remember in Bible college being taught, if plain sense makes common sense, seek no other sense. And I think that applies here. Why do we need to seek some twisted around gymnastical exegesis to put it all together? It doesn't seem to make sense to me. To make it all fit together. And you have to ask the question, why are we doing those exegetical gymnastics? We're doing it to make it fit a map that we have drawn, aren't we? Yes, that's why we're doing it. We're doing it because, hey, the map says it's landlocked, so we must be wrong. We must twist that passage around and make it fit our map. But who drew the map? Man. Man drew the map. God wrote the Word of God. So I don't know why we're doing this gymnastics with the Word of God, twisting it around. To me, it seems much easier to assume that God got it right, that God's Word is clear, and that the, the prophecy is right, the map is wrong. And indeed, one writer said this, <clears throat> I think it sums it up well. The identification of towns and villages mean we should be able to easily draw Zebulun's borders. However, as many of the biblical locations have not been positively identified, plotting the boundaries of Zebulun's inheritance with precision has been difficult, if not impossible. In spite of that, modern scholars, archaeologists, geographers and investigators have attempted to pinpoint many of the sites, but there is almost no consensus on most and only a few of the places have been recognised with precision. I think that sums it up well, doesn't it? Sums it up perfectly. 
the map that they have drawn is guesswork. And that's why you'll probably find that your map in the back of your Bible is slightly different. And when you look at them, even though most of them have it landlocked, it's all a slightly different shape. It's a slightly different direction. And then you'll have a few that will draw it with it going to both coasts. The point is, but they don't know where most of these locations are. They are guessing. And so they've drawn a map purely by guesswork. And so rather than us try to make God's word, God's prophecy, fit a map that was drawn by men, guessing, it's far better that we just accept God's word at face value. That we accept the plain and simple meaning of verse 13. And so the plain and simple meaning, as we said earlier, is that Zebulun's, Zebulun's borders would reach unto both coasts, the Mediterranean and the Sea of Galilee, and that they would be mariners trading upon the ocean with port cities for their ships. And supporting this plain, obvious, clear understanding of the prophecy, we actually have the record of the New Testament. Go to Matthew chapter 4 with me. <clears throat> Excuse me, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 13. It says, And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast in the borders of Zebulun and Nephilim. See, we have Matthew writing his gospel on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Matthew declares that Capernaum, a city located on the coast of the Sea of Galilee, he says it's in what borders? The border of Zebulun. And then again in verse 15, we read the same thing, that Zebulun was by the way of the sea. Verse 15, and the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephilim by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. And so verse 15 again, it says that Zebulun is by the way of the sea or beside the Sea of Galilee, that its border was on the coast. And so it seems very clear that in Christ's day, the people understood the border of Zebulun to reach unto the Sea of Galilee. Now, I know that the Zebulun was one of the ten tribes carried off into captivity, but the people still understood the inheritance, didn't they? They understood the land that was allocated to each tribe. And Matthew here declares that this was in Zebulun's lot of land, in their territory that it reached to the Sea of Galilee. And then adding to that, we actually have the words of the Jewish historian Josephus. And he writes this, The tribe of Zebulun's lot included the land which lay as far as the Sea of Galilee and that which belonged to Carmel and the Mediterranean Sea. And so Josephus, the great historian, the Jewish historian, he understood that Zebulun's territory stretched to both coasts, Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean, and that it included Carmel. And Josephus, of course, was that famous historian, but before, that, before writing all that, he was the leader of the Jewish forces in that region, that very place. He was the leader of the Jewish forces, the Jewish army, if you like, in the first war against the Romans in AD 66. And so he had a very clear, very 
first-hand understanding and knowledge of the region. I mean, he's leading the forces in the area, so he has to understand the area, the region that he is defending. And he says very clearly it extends to both coasts and includes Carmel. See, the point is we have both Matthew's gospel and we have a Jewish secular writer from the same time, both of them agreeing on the borders of Zebulun, extending to the coast, exactly as Jacob prophesied back in Genesis chapter 49 and verse 13. Isn't that wonderful? Yet again, we see God's word perfectly fulfilled. We don't have to twist it around. It's perfectly fulfilled. However, there is one section of the prophecy that we haven't yet touched on, isn't there? The third section. Concerning the fulfillment, we haven't talked about it yet. That phrase at the end of verse 13 there says, Zebulun shall dwell at the haven of the sea, and he shall be for an haven of ships, and his border shall be unto Zidon. We haven't touched on the fulfillment of this yet, have we? Now, we said earlier that Zidon was the name of a major city in the region that would later be known as Phoenicia. And it's clear from the division of the tribes in Joshua chapter 19 that Zidon is not in Zebulun's allotment of land. It is in the allotment of land to Asher. Go to Joshua chapter 19. Joshua 19 and verse 24. Joshua 19 verse 24 says, And the fifth lot came out for the tribe of the children of Asher according to their families. And then drop down to verse 28. And Hebron and Rehob and Hamon and Kana, even unto great Zidon. And so here we have it, Joshua chapter 19. We have the allotment of land given to Asher. And very, very clearly, Zidon is part of his allotments. And so the question is, how then is this part of the prophecy fulfilled? How does Zebulun's border extend unto Zidon? Well, the answer is, because Zidon was the chief city in that region, when Jacob is making this prophecy, the whole region at the time was known as Zidon. Before it was called Phoenicia, it was known by the name of the capital city. And so it was known as Zidon, the whole region. And so it seems that the prophecy is declaring that the border would be unto the region of Zidon. Not unto the city itself, unto the region called Zidon. And we know that this part of the prophecy has been fulfilled or was fulfilled from Josephus' reference earlier. Remember Josephus talked about reaching to both seas and he also said that Carmel was part of their inheritance. That Carmel was in Zebulun's land. And this is important because Carmel was the southern border of the region known as Zidon. One commentator wrote this, As Carmel was the border of Zebulun that way, it is also said by Jerome to be the border of Phoenicia. So that by Zebulun reaching under Carmel, its border may truly be said to be unto Zidon or Phoenicia. So yet again, we see God's word perfectly fulfilled. God's prophecy was perfectly fulfilled. Every portion of that simple prophecy was fulfilled in God's perfect timing. Now, Jacob, under the inspiration of God, 
declared the tribe of Zebulun would have borders reaching under both coasts, that they would have port cities, that they would be mariners upon the ocean, trading upon the ocean across the seas, and that their northwestern border would reach unto Zidon. And all of these prophecies were wonderfully and perfectly fulfilled. Centuries later, when Zebulun came into the land. You know, the accuracy of these prophecies here in Genesis 49 is a wonderful testament to the truthfulness of God's word, is it not? It's a wonderful testament to the truthfulness of God's word and also to the omniscience of our God. God knows everything. God knew everything perfectly before it happened. Everything's in His care. You know, as believers, that ought to give us confidence in God's Word. Confidence in our God. You know, we can be sure that if God's Word says it, God's Word declares it, then it is true. We can believe it. God's Word will always be perfectly fulfilled. And you know, that includes the prophecies, the promises that God has made unto us as His children. You know, many of those prophecies are yet to be fulfilled. But we can have confidence that they will be fulfilled. Why? Because all of these Old Testament prophecies have been fulfilled, not just in part, not just maybe closely, shove it in the gap. No, they've been filled perfectly. Because our God is in control. You see, seeing how these Old Testament prophecies were perfectly fulfilled, or to strengthen our faith as believers in God, and strengthen our faith in His Holy Word. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, Father, we thank you this evening for your word. And Lord, tonight we've, uh, it's been a bit more of a teaching uh, message, I suppose. Uh, Lord, looking at how this prophecy was fulfilled. But Lord, we shouldn't be surprised to see that it was perfectly fulfilled, exactly as you said it would. And Lord, we thank you for that and we praise you for that. And Lord, seeing these Old Testament prophecies come uh, to fruition, be fulfilled so perfectly, just gives us confidence in you, renewed confidence in your word and in the promises that you've made unto us. Lord, strengthen our faith even this evening and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.